Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform of choice, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to be giving a brief update on the Kevin Sawyer situation and trying to talk through whatever just happened between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Winnipeg Jets. Based on the way that I just described that preview, you can probably guess things got pretty ugly. Um, Let's just say, if Palmer Reese has a job tomorrow, after the conclusion of tomorrow's game, or even at the end of tonight... Yeah, uh, Winnipeg might be in some trouble because this was this was as appalling as it gets. I would have rather have watched paint dry than sit through whatever the Jets did uh, for about half this game. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's talk about the Kevin Sawyer situation. Um, Kevin, in his first address since the whole hazing situation broke out where he told the story of Jared Spurgeon being saran-wrapped to a pole, has been pretty quiet. And I feel like, generally speaking, TSN probably asked him not to say anything, which is, all told, an understandable situation. That it took them like two weeks to allow him to speak is kind of the problem, though. If they had just let him talk and and get ahead of this, things might not have taken this long and, and things might not have gotten this bad, especially from the public perception of things. That said, Sawyer, I thought, gave a really heartfelt, really sincere, good, and honest response tonight. I felt that he very much apologized and regretted what was said. He understood that the context, especially in light of everything that's happened, was really not appropriate for that kind of story. Even though at the time I felt like he didn't mean it in in the kind of light that it was taken, it doesn't really matter because you can't explain the context or anything, uh, especially in a short story on a broadcast. And more importantly, the timing was bad. You have to, you know, read the room and understand that that sort of story in light of all of the coaching abuse and bullying scandals that have broken out. It's just not the kind of thing that people really want to hear about. You know, just today, Brandon Manning of the Edmonton Oilers was in an AHL game and got suspended for five games because he called a player uh, a racial slur. You know, unfortunately for Kevin, I I think that he... I know that he didn't mean anything by the story at all, and I'm sure that it was probably not like some of the other situations that we've had. But either way, no one knew the truth, and even his own account of the story... Uh, especially from the broadcast versus what he said tonight, was a little bit different. You know, he wasn't really involved with it. He apparently was not in the room with Spurgeon when uh, Jared was tied up on the pole, and it was all voluntary from what it sounds like. So, you know, obviously those details would have been important, but that's not something that would have come out on the broadcast, and no one really allowed Kevin to address the situation until it was kind of too late. At the very least, there was a statement made. I think that it got the point across. It was the right message to send. And uh, hopefully folks can move on and use this as something of a learning opportunity. Not necessarily that the story itself was specifically the issue, but kind of understanding sensitivity around this stuff. Um, And the fact that, you know, what was permissible maybe several years ago is certainly not appropriate now. And I think that that point being reinforced going forward especially the stance against anti-hazing and bullying, that's probably the most important takeaway. In other recent Jets news, Winnipeg lost a game to the Carolina Hurricanes. I call it a game because uh, this kind of felt like the sort of performance where somebody gets fired afterwards. But let's start off with at least the opening parts of the game because there was some more positive news. 
unfortunately, it didn't really start off with great news. You know, Carolina went up 2-0 very quickly. Their first goal was kind of bad from Hellebuck. Martin Nietzsche gets a nice little break on sort of a, a line change where somebody was coming off the ice. The puck kind of squirts by whoever was coming off. And I think it was Pionk or Morrissey on the left side. Obviously, Nietzsche has a lot of skill, kind of gets a step on and cuts in. And the defender really wasn't able to physically engage, and he just beats him on the inside. And I think Hellebuck was trying to poke the puck out. He dropped early a little bit and sort of aggressively came out with a stick, but totally missed the, the poke check. And Nietzsche basically just walks it in and scores. So that's, you know, obviously not the most ideal of situations. Not too long after, I believe it was Sami Niku who took a penalty. And, you know, obviously the refing tonight was a little up and down, but the penalty was earned, and, and Niku goes to the box. Uh, and Carolina who have a tendency to do a, a bit of a Harlem Globetrotters routine, especially on the power play, had a couple of decent passes, and Justin Williams essentially drops into the middle slot here. Slavin distributes the puck to Tavo Teravainen. Teravainen finds a nice little seam, fires what looks like almost like a, a shot pass, uh, and, and Williams is able to deflect it at a pretty sharp angle right past Hellebuck. I'm not 100% sure that Helly can really do anything about that, but again, Winnipeg's down in an early 2-0 hole, so that's not ideal. Thankfully, the Jets' top line ended up responding pretty quickly. Shifley and Connor had a pretty decent shift to set up Patrick Liney in the in the higher slot, and Liney risks a beautiful goal to cut the deficit to 2-1. And so, you know, there's there's some pushback, and Liney is putting quite a few shots. I think Winnipeg had like six shots on goal, and five of them came from Patrick Liney that period. What is kind of alarming is that the rest of the Jets forwards really weren't creating all that much. I mean, aside from Shifley and Connor setting up Liney, it was kind of a, a mediocre end to that first period, not a whole lot going on. Unfortunately, the Jets did concede again. This time, Lucas Abisa and Dmitry Kulikov, who really shouldn't be playing together, but uh, I guess needs must. Um, Sabisa gets totally burned, and I mean totally burned, I think by Teravainen, and Teravainen goes behind the net. Kulikov is parked in the front. No one seems to be watching this whole situation, because like, Sabisa's getting burned behind the net badly. And then Kulikov is posted up in the front doing whatever Dmitry Kulikov does, I don't know, defending or trying to mark somebody, whatever. Sebastian Ajo comes in on the left side towards the short side of the uh, of the net, Kulikov doesn't even see him, and Teravainen doesn't really miss the pass. Aho slaps it in. It's just like that. It's 3-1 Carolina, and Winnipeg just kind of looks a little bit down in the dumps. I have seen some criticism of Hellebuck, and yeah, the first goal was pretty bad. The second and third goals, I really don't know that you can pin it all on him. I mean, the Jets' defense totally crapped the bed, especially on the third goal. The second goal is just not great. I mean, it's one of those things where I don't know that anyone's really going to stop it, but obviously the PK for this team is pretty bad. doesn't really cut down passing seams or anything like that. And uh, Williams had a nice free deflection that he tipped perfectly. As far as things you love to see, this period just really wasn't it. The second period showed cased a lot more pushback from the Jets, especially, you know, the, the Ehlers line was great. I think Nikolai did everything that he could to try and claw this game back in for the Jets. Um, Ehlers has, of course, been our best forward this season overall. Probably our best skater outside of Connor Hellebuck in net. Um, but as far as forwards and defensemen go, I don't think anyone else is doing as much as, as Nick has done for this team. And really, he was setting up chances, making a lot of transition plays, doing all of the good stuff. And then the cop line also had a pretty, pretty big period. 
I think um, Cop's relentless forechecking in combination with some of the other guys on his line, you know, Perot was pretty decent. These are just the signs of life that you wanted to see from a team that had been battered pretty badly, especially in the opening frame where the Jets, I don't think that they were actually super terrible, but the defensive miscues that ended up happening really hurt them. The second period was a bit of a reversal of roles. I mean, Carolina basically just sat back and absorbed Winnipeg's pressure while Peter Mrazek had to work overtime just to keep things relatively stable. While there weren't actually all that many shots recorded on goal, um, there were a lot of opportunities where Winnipeg was getting into the right positions and starting to, to carry the play a bit. And then, you know, the Canes were not really cutting down on the passing lanes. The shooting lanes were also there. Uh, but for the most part, I feel like Winnipeg was was close, but not quite close enough to really make Carolina pay. Moratic did have to make a couple of pretty decent saves, but on the whole, I felt like the Jets, they were getting into the right spots, creating a lot of opportunities, but they just really couldn't find the finishing touch, and there was no extra gear to get get them to the finish line on this one. After that third goal, it just felt like things were not really looking up for this team. But then again, the Jets, I mean, they did put forth the effort, and it's a lot more than I can say for whatever happened in that third period. The last 20 minutes of this game were kind of a horror show for the Jets. For a team that desperately needed to claw back into it, I think they got outshot something like 18-4... to or 17-2, not exactly sure, I can't recall. But basically, Winnipeg got dominated by Carolina all throughout the final 20 minutes of the game, and it was pretty hard to watch. Um, more often than not, frustration started boiling over. Cop had a bit of a, last, a nasty hit late in the game, and then, you know, Mark Shifley got into a couple of scraps, one of them where the gloves actually came off and he started fighting, with Brett Pesci, if I recall correctly, and, and to see one of your top scoring forwards getting into a fight especially after he had limited offensive involvement for most of the evening. Probably not what you want to see coming from this team. The body language wasn't good. Guys just looked very tentative and like they weren't really sure what they were supposed to do. And and like the general feeling that I got, I used the word quit on Twitter. Some people would probably disagree with that. Um, it, it's not that they don't care. It's just to me that they looked very dispirited and kind of out of it. And I don't know. I, I get the sense that Winnipeg is trying to do things at times, and they do care about it, but this effort was just unacceptable. I mean, Winnipeg basically got pantsed in a game in which they were already trailing 3-1, and you know, it's just kind of hard to imagine where this team goes from here. Tomorrow they have to go into Columbus, who have one of the highest save percentages in the entire NHL, and the Blue Jackets themselves have a decent amount of forward talent, as well as an alright defense, enough to certainly put the Jets in a pinch. And, you know, what comes out of this road trip? I mean, Winnipeg has been, frankly, far below their usual excellence. Um, and this is not exactly excellence from the season, but we're talking about, you know, 2017-2018, when the team was really in the stages of an ascendancy that I think we can all suggest should have been continued on from. But instead, last year was a, a notable step back. We all did expect a step back, but maybe not as much as the Jets actually um, kind of clawed back into and here they're playing frankly like one of the worst nhl teams around and i can't really believe that this is happening i know that this defense is bad and it's not exactly a secret we've been talking about it for weeks if not months heading into the season but the fact that the forwards and the offense have basically been neutralized and shut down with no support from the blue liners no forward support because they're sitting so deep and they can't really spring you know neutral zone breakouts 
There's just so much that's broken about this team, and I don't know how it's going to get fixed. Some people have suggested that Dustin Bufflin coming back is going to be some magic pill, and I can tell you right now, it ain't happening. As soon as Bufflin comes back, this team might be, you know, slightly more competent, but I don't think he's coming back, and even if he did, this team's not getting fixed. Let's like recap a couple of thoughts here because Winnipeg has one of the most non-functional even strength offenses. They have a defense that is supposed to be um, one that's capable of absorbing pressure and, and creating breakouts from either blocked shots or you know intercepted passes or forced turnovers along the walls. They don't do any of that. Not not much at all. The forwards are sitting deep to try and compensate for the defensemen having trouble. You know, shortening the distance for passes and dropping down to assist and, and try and help the defensemen, but they also aren't capable of doing that. So what are you really doing? And really what's happening to Winnipeg is they're just getting pinned in the defensive zone, and they're conceding so many high-danger opportunities as well as goals against. Hellebuck can't keep up his, his marvelous performance on the year forever. In fact, tonight I believe Dmitry Filipovich actually noted that the Jets created eight high-danger scoring chances and conceded 18. They conceded 18 high-danger scoring chances. L let's be honest, I, I don't really know how Connor Hellebuck is supposed to prevent any of those opportunities from going in. This Jets defense doesn't clear the crease. The forwards aren't really able to exit the defensive zone with the puck. It's basically all coming down to, to Hellebuck's ability to, to find the shot and sit on it and, and pray that you know it doesn't come loose or it doesn't come off of a rebound to a free forward. And, you know, he's not really got anyone to rely on, especially in that final 20 minutes of the game like we saw tonight. The Jets kind of abandoned him, and, like, they didn't really seem to know what to do under pressure. And, it, frankly, for me, it was um, a pretty pathetic performance, and it's a real shame because this team has the talent to do more than what we saw tonight. I'm thinking about what happens when the sun comes up tomorrow, and I, I really can't say what this team is going to look like. At this point, I think that the only thing that the Jets can do is is fire Paul Maurice. I really don't think that there's any other answer. I know that that is a pretty harsh judgment, but at this point, nothing else is going to fix this team, and you, you have to take a Hail Mary pun and hope for the best, because nothing else is working. I think we know that the roster isn't capable of doing it, the defensive unit and structure isn't going to be enough, um, the coaching systems aren't working, and really the leadership just doesn't seem like it's enough to push this team over the hump right now. Do I think the Jets will actually fire Maurice? I'd honestly be pretty surprised. I don't even know if they'll fire him if they lose in embarrassing fashion tomorrow to Columbus. But they're like 3-10-2 in their last 15 games, and that in the NHL is just not good enough. Um, especially when you have a team with this much offensive firepower, and the Jets are almost totally neutralized. I really don't know what else there is to say about this team that hasn't already been said at some point or another by me or somebody else. So... You know, Winnipeg's got to figure and sort this crap out because this can't keep happening. They have to figure out whether or not Paul Maurice is the guy they want leading the squad and whether or not he can find and maximize the most of the talent that he has available. With the trade deadline looming for the Jets, Winnipeg is kind of in a, uh, a bit of a bad spot right now because they aren't good enough to make the playoffs as is, and I don't think that a trade deadline fix is going to solve them either. I already mentioned that Dustin Bufflin coming back probably doesn't fix what is fundamentally wrong with this team, and I, I can't really think of anyone on the trade deadline list that's actually going to be um, of any significant value to the Jets. Aside from like Jean-Gabriel Pajot, who 
at this point is probably a rental more than somebody that you're going to bring in for a long-term deal. There just really aren't that many high-impact players that can do what Winnipeg is going to need because the Jets are, are basically running half of an ECHL defense married to a, a, an offense that has almost no firepower. Um, it has all the talent, it just doesn't have any of that firepower actually being utilized in a way that's effective. Let's kind of go a little bit hypothetical here and think about what happens if the Jets actually go in a very different direction, and that direction is to start considering selling some pieces. If the Jets become sellers, at this point I think all bets are off as to what the future of this team is. Personally, I think that this is the most unlikely scenario, because I don't think that the Jets should really panic sell. I think that yeah, the solution is going to be a little bit unorthodox. I think that they need to get creative. But if they bring in a coach that's able to recognize this team's strengths, for one thing, and kind of coach around some of the holes, they have defensive reinforcements coming over the next two seasons. So they can kind of live with what they have. And it's not like the existing forward core is the problem with this team. They have really great talent, and for the most part, a lot of it's under contract with term. Lowry and Kopp will obviously need some kind of a, a deal down the road, Kopp in the very near future. Line's contract is going to be coming up very soon. Uh, I think the season after next, he's he's going to be due for a massive extension. So you're going to want to have you're going to want to have cap space for that. But let's just let's just get weird for a second. What happens if Winnipeg thinks about doing some kind of a rebuild? Which again, I would not go with, but the Jets could do it. So I think the first person that gets sold is going to be Neil Pionk. Pionk is um, he's got I think a couple of a couple of months left on his current contract. He's an RFA. He's young, and he puts up a ton of points. He's also a right-handed defenseman, which are always, um, in, you know, inordinately prioritized in this league. Now, Pionk actually has some genuine offensive skill, and if you put him on a power play where he doesn't have to be the one passing the puck, I think that that tend to, tends to work best for him. He's got a great shot, he's got pretty good edge work, he has sharp offensive instincts, and he's got pretty good stick handling, so there's a lot to like about his game. In some ways, he's kind of like a really low-budget, low low-rent version of Kevin Shattenkirk. Now, you know, Shattenkirk for me is a much more, you know, well-rounded defenseman with a lot more overall skill, but Pionk has some of the same traits that might make him at least a desirable trade deadline asset. If the Jets trade Pionk, though, that's basically throwing in the towel for next year because, uh, you know, Winnipeg doesn't have any other right-handed defenseman to replace him with. Pionk, for better or for worse, is basically Truba's fill-in. And actually, his impact this season, barring the past couple of weeks, has been pretty okay. In fact, Pionk has been good, generally speaking. He's the kind of guy that if you signed him for like four or five years, I really wouldn't fuss too much. I, I don't know that I would want to give him a lot of term and a lot of money without maybe giving it a little bit more of a the old college try and seeing if he's if he's worth keeping around long term. But you extend him for like two or three years, kind of figure out what he is, and go from there. I think that that's probably the best option. I don't know that he's somebody I would really build around, which might mean that regardless of whether or not he gets traded at the deadline, his term in Winnipeg is probably not going to be super long. I think that he's not somebody that the Jets should prioritize as one of their most key core pieces. He's a very good defenseman in some respects, um, especially in like a second-pairing role. He has some genuine offensive chops and he has the right skills, but again, he's not like a Vili Heinola or someone that you really covet and, and build around. And let's say that he gets moved and that kind of kicks off a bit of a rebuild. The Jets would also have to figure out what Blake Wheeler and, and Brian Little want to do, because those guys are two of the biggest contracts, and 
They both have movement clauses that would pr- prohibit them from going anywhere unless they have uh, express permission. And, and you know, both of those guys are not young. They kind of need to win now. And if the Jets aren't really in, in a position to do that, then those guys would have to get shipped off. I think at this point, we all know Bufflin's basically done. So I'm kind of writing him off as that cap space, probably partially for Linus contract um, and partially for whoever else they would bring in to replace any of the veterans who want to walk. Perot probably has to be let go because, I don't know, Perot hasn't been good, he's aging, and he's not really on the cheap contract. So, you know, he's at the towards the end of his contract anyways. It's probably time for the Jets to consider parting ways. And then, you know, Jack Roslevic, is he really going to be a core member of this team? I don't know. Roslevic has a lot of skills and stuff, but I just haven't seen enough from him to really justify um, keeping him around long term because he just hasn't shown me enough to really justify that tag. I just don't know. I mean, I look at this roster and there's a lot of guys who the Jets could theoretically keep. Like, Roslevic would be a sensible person that they hang on to. But if they want to trade him, there might be some teams that would overpay for his services if they think his upside is there. I think he still has something to give the Jets. But, again, we've been waiting a couple seasons for him to really take off. And he doesn't really seem to get along with Paul Maurice all that much. So, if he goes, I'm not going to cry. I would just ask the assets in return are pretty good. Neil Pionk's, you know, return would be pretty good. I think he'd be at least a high first-round pick, probably some kind of prospect. You know, the usual package that you get for one of these deadline rentals. But if he were to be somebody that the team trading for him wants to extend, maybe the Jets can try and work around that leverage. Beyond that, though, I don't really see the Jets doing anything at the trade deadline. I I just don't think that they're really close to being competitive and not one single piece on the market that's going to be available of which that list is very small, is going to fix what really bums this team out. So, yeah, trade deadline, probably going to be on the quieter side. All right, guys, thanks again so much for listening, and as always, have a great one. Go Jets go!